0: I'm Mark Middleton with Bill Schaefer. This is Growing Boulder, the show that brings you national celebrities, iconic musicians, celebrated authors, renowned health experts, and maybe our favorite ordinary people who have done something remarkable with their lives, maybe people like you. And hearing their stories, you can believe that you can do it, too. In just a moment, you'll meet one of the greatest musical actors of all time, Dame Julie Andrews, and you'll hear how she's now taking the literary
1: world by storm. And that's not it either, Mark. Do you remember the Oak Ridge Boys? Oh, yeah. We're going to talk to the guy, you know, the real deep voice to find out how he went from Elvis all the way to Elvira. Yeah. And we're going to meet a sports announcer who's been doing play-by-play for his team for 60 years. And a very special message from nutritionist Dr. Susan Mitchell on how women can protect your heart. Some straight talk about eating smart. This is Growing Bolder.
2: The hills are alive with the sound of music, with songs they have sung for a thousand years.
0: Well, folks, get ready because we are about to be joined by one of the most beloved musical movie stars ever. So much so, in fact, that her films have become part of the fabric of our society. Mary Poppins, The Sound of Music, Victor Victoria, and The Princess Diaries, just to name a few. But there is so much more to who she is. She's found a compelling way to combine her acting talents, her use of language in a lyrical sort of way to keep the art of story and even storytelling alive through Children's books,
1: And you know, Mark, her latest release is another heartwarming, memorable, thought-provoking, charming tale called yeah. The Very Fairy Princess Follows Her Heart. And from what has become a best-selling mother-daughter writing team, we get to visit with the mom right now. Let's say hi to author Julie Andrews. How are you, Julie?
3: <laughs> Hello, guys. How are you
1: both? Hey, what's going on in your world? Where are you today?
3: I'm in New York City, and uh, what's going on in my world is that I am... Um, uh, here, uh, uh, among other things, I'm promoting the latest book that you so kindly mentioned. And um, to my delight and surprise, it uh, it debuted at uh, number nine on the New York Times bestseller list. And the following week, it just leapt to number two. So I am a very happy lady and quite amazed that this little book sort of did it all by itself, just
0: about. Well, congratulations. Uh, and, and obviously, not only a very happy lady, but a very talented lady. Well, what have you learned about writing children's books? What's What's a hook that works? What What do kids want to read? Or, or I guess, more importantly, what do parents want them to read?
3: It's a learning curve that, that never stops. I mean, um, my daughter and I have been writing books now for about 15 or 16 years together, although I've been... Uh, writing my own individual books for oh gosh over 40 years i think i was the lib- original celebrity author but uh, i don't particularly like that expression because uh, uh whoever writes a book right works very hard and it's it's a huge responsibility but um emma and i uh, began the julie andrews collection and to date we've written about 27 28 books together and um, this is the latest in a small series of books called *The Very Fairy Princess*. And what can I tell you? It's it's just a question of writing, uh, le- writing what you begin to learn and know, but also writing genuinely and from your heart. And and in in our cases, we try to be. I mean, a lot of people have asked us why princesses. I mean, aren't they? Uh, don't people write about them all the time, and is that the wrong sort of thing even to tell a child? But we say, well, here's the difference. Um, The modern-day princesses work extremely hard, the real ones, and this little girl, Geraldine, although she prefers to be called Jerry, is in fact the antithesis of anything princess. Her socks are about her ankles, and she's a tomboy, and she, she just believes in her heart that she... Uh, carries a sparkle inside that makes her a a princess. But it's more to do with uh, identity and who you are and feeling um, special rather than all the outside trappings of being a princess.
1: Talking with Julie Andrews here, and, you know, Julie, you didn't need another career. In fact, (laughs) it was kind of a courageous leap because, you know, people can love you one way and you could be vulnerable in another. What gave you the idea in the first place to start writing, especially these children's stories?
3: Well, about, um, oh, over 40 years ago now, um, I've always loved to write, but, you know, my day job kind of got in the way and I was very busy. But about 40 years ago, I was playing a game with my children that required a forfeit. I fell into it quite by accident, in a way. And, um, of course, I was the first to lose the game, and so I had to pay a forfeit. And I asked my eldest daughter what that should be, and she said, well, write me a story. And uh, she was a stepdaughter and a fairly new one at the time. And I thought, well, rather than just dashing something off for her, maybe I could... uh, write something special. And about a year and a half later, it became my first um, children's middle middle grade book called Mandy. And that's been in print for 41 years now. now. And um, uh, it began uh, a second career in a way that I've so enjoyed. And I felt so empty after finishing Mandy that I wanted to write more. And that built and built until now I'm, I'm working, as I say, with my daughter and loving it.
0: And isn't that great? You know, you, you write great stories, but your story is maybe even greater than what you write, Julia. We talk a lot on this program about people who find a way uh, to to pursue their passion, find a way to kind of channel what they're good at into, into a, a new stage of life so that they can still leverage the skills that they have. And you have done that, uh, you know, in an incredible way, as you mentioned, not only with your family, but with your ability to write. Are, are you happy now? Is life as good as it's ever been?
3: and as busy as it's ever been. Um, The interesting thing was, uh, I think everybody knows that I'm not singing these days, and I miss it very much. I had an operation that unfortunately uh, made it impossible for me to continue my career, but I was talking to my daughter one day, and she said, you know what, Mum? You've just found a different way of using your voice. And suddenly everything slotted into place, and I realized that one can be useful and effective in, in many, many ways. And it shouldn't stop me from the giving, which is what I so enjoy. And um, so in a way, we package our books with as much music as possible, subliminal or otherwise. It, it's written into our stories. We package our stories with CDs or um, background music if we do a, a book on tape or an e-tape. And so I find it very satisfying and I
4: so
1: enjoy it. Mark, have you ever heard anybody so elegantly talk about how well an unfortunate incident mm. took this incredibly yeah. iconic voice away? Julie, that's like a baseball pitcher going in for a hangnail and having their finger amputated <laughs> while they're in there. Can you, can you? We talk also a lot about obstacles. We all face them in life. They're all unexpected. Some yeah. of us fold under the weight of them and others find a way to overcome them. This must have been incredibly traumatic for you.
3: Yeah, well, it was a long time of of, um, denial and hope and wondering whether, in fact, um, uh, you know, I would uh, sort of um, continue. And uh, uh, this uh, was so wonderful because it gave me the time. I don't think I would have even turned to uh, the book writing, much as I privately enjoyed doing it, as much um, if it hadn't been for that um, incident. And it has given me such a wonderful New lease on life, and as I say, I love working. I love meeting people and touching people, and I I hope our little books do that.
0: Hmm. You know, Julie, uh, can I ask you if the ageism of Hollywood, uh, you know, has frustrated you at all, or are you uh, a star of such magnitude, of such talent, of such grace that you've not been affected like that, uh, like most women your age?
3: Um, explain what you mean by that. You mean the the publicity or the um
0: uh, uh, the roles, I mean, uh, you, you, you're obviously an extremely talented uh, actress. Are you working as much as you want to? Are you getting the kind of roles that you think uh, you, you could? Oh, in, I see
3: what you're saying. Um, well, mercifully, there is there are just so many outlets now. I mean, it's not just films. Um, it's films for television. It's it's um, There's so much um, product out there, so much more than there used to be. And so I think there's a pretty fair division these days for actors and actresses, and I am still working, and I do still, uh, you know, uh, read a lot of scripts, and I'm sort of trying to be selective and also fit in with my uh, the other things that I do, and I do a lot of touring and, and speaking engagements that I enjoy. Um, life is very busy for me, and it's all part and parcel of the same thing, which is, um Being able to hopefully give people some pleasure and help them momentarily forget or help children learn to read, uh, that is a huge cause that my daughter daughter and I believe in. Um, Literally, uh, being able to read and, and giving children a sense of the value of books and words is hugely important.
1: Well, Julie, in in our final 30 seconds, uh, I guess simply put, what do you think we can learn from life from Julie Andrews?
3: Oh, my. (laughs) I think that's... I I don't know if I could be so bold as to just sum it up in a sentence, and maybe that's for other people to decide, but I do know that it's that ancient um, phrase, you know, somebody closes a door and then a window opens, and uh, for me, I've been tremendously fortunate to be allowed that opening of the window. And um, it I just sort of segued into it, and I'm very grateful for it. And I think one should always look for other opportunities to grow, because it's all about learning more and more about a craft that you love doing.
1: Tough question, Julie. Fantastic answer. Her latest book is The Very Fairy Princess. So elegant, engaging, and inspirational. What a pleasure to talk with Julie Andrews.
3: Green-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels. Doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles. Wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things.
1: Up next, what's the longest you've ever held a job? Talk about longevity. We'll visit with a sports radio icon, a man whose record may never be broken. This is Growing Bolder.
3: These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad. I Simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com/slash TV for program listings and where to watch. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. This is Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton with a question. Ever make a decision in your life and really have no idea where it was going to lead you? Yeah, let destiny take you where it may. Our next
0: guest took a job not because he really wanted it, but just to hold him over until the right job came along. Only it never did. And there are millions of hockey fans
1: out there right now who are sure glad it didn't.
2: Long shot on goal. Rebound up front. It was
1: 1953 when anyone tuning in a Fort Wayne Comets hockey game on 1190 W O 1st heard this voice.
4: He heads for center. Victor The Ablett. Ablett. You score!
1: No one could have guessed, not even the man himself, that he would do something no other sports announcer has ever done. With just a few exceptions, he would call every game they would play for the next 60 years. At the age of 86, Bob Chase is the most remarkable man in sports.
5: Here we come. Good forecheck that time. Britton with the puck down deep inside. DeLone sends it out behind him, the... Up the middle and drive. Score! It is Beauregard first goal of the night. Comments on the board, and that came at 6.32. It's so amazing because when I started, I had no intention of even being a sports announcer. It was a temporary job until a real job showed up for me.
1: While Bob was doing play-by-play and waiting for that real job, he did have other duties. I
5: was a disc jockey for a number of years, at one time ranked in the top ten in the nation. Um, I was the sports director of the station until I retired three years ago.
1: And we did it all. Including an interview with a rising young star named Elvis Presley.
5: And that was just another case of being in the right place at the right time because the people who owned the hockey team promoted the Elvis thing and only two people were allowed to interview him and one of them certainly was me. And it was, it was a very exciting time when he was on the rise. And one of the nicest people I had ever met.
1: But it always seemed that he fit best high above a surface of ice, using his voice and his mind to bring Comet Hockey to life for his listeners. No, it wasn't the NHL, but it did have its advantages.
5: The fact that I was in a minor league setup gave me opportunities to be around people that I really enjoyed. They were young people. uh, The kids were all trying to go someplace. Nobody had an ego problem. And they they were playing for peanuts, so if they didn't love what they were doing, they wouldn't be there. And it made it an awful lot of fun.
1: It's hot and I'm old. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I know how you feel about old. So much fun that even these days he has to watch his back. Oh, yeah, and I mean, I'm one of the
5: guys. I mean, some of the junk they pull on me on the bus (laughs) and elsewhere you got to be ready for it, I'll tell you that. Britain in the zone, stops just inside, dumps it off behind the net, around behind the goal, picked up,
1: oh, nice move. There was one thing Bob was not ready for. See, when you toil in the minor leagues, you don't get much recognition, but out of the blue, Bob was awarded the highest honor possible by the National Hockey League.
5: I'm driving out of Huntsville, Alabama, pulling a, you know, a nine-ton fifth wheel with a, an old Ford Dually, Phone rings, Murph hands me the phone, and the voice said, oh my goodness, am I happy to be in touch with you. And I said, yes, who is this? And um, he said, well, uh, my name is Bettman. He's. I'm going, whoa, Gary Bettman? Yes, sir, and he said, I'm telling you, I didn't know you were on vacation. I finally got your cell phone number, and I want to be the first to let you know that you are the recipient of the Lester Patrick Award. Now, I'm driving up the highway, lined with semis, and we're all running 75 miles an hour. So the next thing, tears started coming. And I told him, I said, you just hang on a moment till I compose myself, please. I'll be with you in a moment. All the way home, the rest of the way, about 500 miles, I'd look at Murph and I'd go, wow. Now it was just, it's still, I I just, I I know it's there because the trophy's up on my mantle and I know I've been there and I've gotten some incredible response from people all over hockey. Uh, But it's, it's humbling.
1: Humbling especially when Bob remembers how it all nearly came to a sudden end 16 years ago.
5: It was a nice warm spring day and I was out washing the car and all of a sudden I started getting these wild pains through my arm and stuff and I was just shaking.
1: He was rushed to the hospital. Before he knew it, he'd undergone quadruple bypass heart surgery.
5: My uh, cardiologist walked in and at the foot of my bed the next morning he said, How you feeling, Bob? And I said, Really good, Doc. He says, well, I got a test for you, R-E-T-I-R-E. What does that mean? I said, I didn't hear that. What was that? And he said, are you thinking about retiring? And I said, not, not yet. Wait till I recover and see how I feel. And I have never felt any better in my life than I have.
1: You don't believe in that word, do you?
5: No, no, no. Someday I'm going to leave. But uh, retire, I've seen so many people and friends of mine as well who could hardly wait for the day they qualified. And a year later, they're saying, the worst thing I ever did, I wish I'd never retired. And with 50,000 watts of radio, we were heard all over.
1: Plus, if he would have retired, he would have missed out on one of his all-time favorite moments. You see, one of the young boys that grew up listening to Bob on the radio followed in his footsteps. His name? Mike Emrick.
5: And look what has happened to him. He's grown into the lead hockey announcer in North America. And he's a little American kid from just west of Fort Wayne, Indiana.
1: Not bad.
0: So I finally got to be like Bob. Nobody's going to beat Bob, but I got to be
1: like Bob. The top announcer in the game today says Bob was his inspiration. And it's hard to tell who was more excited, protege or mentor, when for the first time ever, the two did play-by-play together.
5: Oh, it was unreal. Uh, We never dreamed this would ever
1: happen. I could understand Mike being excited because here's the guy who sparked the dream that became a reality for Mike, but Bob Chase was just as excited oh, yeah. to be with Mike in Emmerich. Fact, the,
5: the, the, the best time I had was in the second period when I sat back and listened and just listened to him and then I knew why he was who he is. Really really talented. Do you feel, Bob, that he's carrying on your legacy? Yes. And he's, he's, he's put me where I wouldn't have gone. He's, he's my rep in the national. He's taking national the next office.
4: step. Yeah.
1: You could have retired 20 years ago.
5: Why are you still doing it? Well, probably if I'd had a job, I'd retire. I never had a job. You know, this has been a labor of love all through the years. I wake up every day looking for what's next in, in the line of experience. And uh, I just enjoy doing what I do. Back up they come. Comets chase this one down. His chalk still got it. Can't hold it in the zone.
1: But Bob knows full well that the scoreboard clock always ticks down. That makes him cherish his work work even more.
5: I know soon I'm going to have to leave it. Um, Murph and I need a couple of years just between the two of us to travel and have fun. And she insists I don't stop. She wants me to keep going. The hockey club told me if I decided to retire, they wouldn't let it happen. What they would do, they'd hire another man working for their PR and sales group. He would do the road games and I'd do the home games. Not a bad idea. Not deal. a bad idea, you know. No more bus trips.
1: <laughs> 86, and he's still looking forward, but also looking back at a record-setting career, the likes of which we will never see again. The experiences and friendships that shaped it and the humility that defined it. Thank you, Bob Chase, for reminding us it's not what we do as much as what we bring to what we do that makes for a meaningful life. I
5: could not have planned or in any way put together my life. It happened Uh, day by day, week by week, some highs, some lows, Uh, the whole thing kept together through it all by my wife and uh, here we are you know and uh, I am so happy and pleased and, and in peace with myself and with my family that I don't know what else I could add except to say thank you Lord.
0: what a humble and gracious man, Bill. And really is, folks, a great reminder that sometimes it isn't about what you do for a living. It's how you do it, how you approach it, how much you respect it, and how much of yourself you give to it. And that's what changes a simple job into a fulfilling, lifelong career that inspires others to follow in your path. Very cool.
1: And if you're 86, you can still do it and you still love it? Mm. That's when you know you've really got something. What an unforgettable guy. Are you the kind of person who every time you eat something, maybe you shouldn't, you just know that it's going to go right straight to your belly? Well, what I bet you didn't know is that actually does mean something pretty important if that happens to you. Let's find out more from registered dietitian and nutritionist Dr. Susan Mitchell.
6: Thanks, Bill. Hi, foodie friends. Did you know that the location of your fat, that is belly fat versus hip and thigh fat, may determine how healthy you are? Recent health news indicates that belly fat, even in normal weight people, is more dangerous than fat located in the hips and thighs, and it affects heart health. Do you know the number one cause of death in women? Are you thinking breast cancer? It's actually heart disease. And did you know that women often receive less medical interventions than men to prevent and treat heart disease, such as less cholesterol screening and less use of lipid-lowering medications? But on the flip side, when a recent study asked women like you whose health is most important to them, guess the response— 56% said someone else's health is most important. Boy, that's
1: fascinating. What a great point that is, and I guess it makes sense, because when you're on the plane all the time, they tell you that when that oxygen mass drops, make sure you put it on yourself first. They have to tell you that, but I guess (laughs) that even when it comes to your health, some people are always on the lookout for others first.
6: You know, so true, Bill. Women tend to care for everyone else first, so ladies, be sure and take these preventive steps. First, find out your numbers. Cholesterol, blood pressure, and blood sugar if any of your numbers are abnormal now is the time to see a health professional remember high blood pressure is called the silent killer as it generally has no symptoms when you lower your blood pressure you reduce the chance of stroke by 35 percent heart attack by 20 percent and heart failure by 50 percent you're busy I hear you. Your schedule is overfull and you're stressed most days. But I don't want you to put off taking care of yourself any longer. You and your family are worth
1: it. Registered dietitian and nutrition expert, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Coming up, a former Los Angeles on air celebrity reinvents herself into a best selling author. This is Growing Boulder.
3: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. You're listening to Growing Boulder Radio. I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton, and we're going to. Welcome back, one of our favorite guests now. She's been into so many fascinating things in her life that we hardly ever talk about the same subject more than once. That's kind of what the show's about.
0: Exactly. You know, Bill, not only is she one cool chick, she is a best-selling historical novelist. She spent nearly 20 years on the air at ABC Radio in L.A. She made a splash with the book Right Sizing Your Life, nonfiction, and now she's done it again, this time creating an exquisite sequel to her bestseller, The Cottage by the Su- Let's welcome back the author of That Summer in Cornwall, C.G. Ware. Hey, C.G.
7: Good morning, guys. How are you? I feel like I'm back on ABC dealing with my... Two favorite guys. How are you? Oh, Good morning.
0: my gosh. We appreciate that. We're always happy to talk to you and really excited, as Bill mentioned, to find out what you're up to next. And, you know, if there's one thing that we hear over and over from publishers, it's never write a sequel. Sounds easy. Actually, a very difficult thing to do for a number of reasons. What made you decide to give it a shot?
7: Well, you know, it's you know, certain things that happen to writers, and you write these characters, and you literally they become alive, and you live with them for a year or two when you're writing the book. So, like 15 years ago, I wrote this book called A C- Cottage by the Sea. It was by far my best-selling book for some reason I never understood. But there was a little baby that was born in that book. To a very tumultuous situation. And about three years ago, I started thinking, I wonder whatever happened to that kid. You know, it's now, you know, 12 years later and, and whatever, and that's what happens. You say, whatever happened to that three month old baby who is now eight in this book, and so that's sort of the impetus, and the other totally selfish reason is, I don't know if you know, but my were ancestors are all from Cornwall and Devon, and I was just itching to go back there, so it was a good excuse
2: now, <laughs> to go back
7: and do some research, because of my repertorial background, I wanted to go back and see what had changed in Cornwall since I'd done the first book, even though this was fiction, so that was sort of the thing, that, the two threads that came into it.
1: And those are two threads that that so many people think about, C.G. We all wonder if we could write a book, you know, be it a novel or whatever, which you've done a great job with. But then also that traveling back, no matter what the motivation was, being able to travel back and uh, to reconnect a bit with your own history. Tell us a little bit more about what was that like for you.
7: Well, that was just the joy of this last trip because I went back to a place um, that's near a uh, place called Nevegissey, and it's on the uh, – uh, coastline of of Cornwall it's not too far from a place called Cliftoniton, where the Wares came from. And the Wares, in about 1842, pretty early, sorry, 1642, left Plymouth because they didn't want to fight for Cromwell and they didn't want to fight for the King, and so they were basically draft dodgers. And they came from Plymouth. Um, in Cornwall to Plymouth, Massachusetts. So I have always, you know, I, I was there once, but I wanted to also see what happened to this castle that I was kind of shabby chic down at the heels. And in my book, I wrote this whole thing in Cottage by the Sea that they figure out a way to start a commercial nursery, and they start taking painting guests, and I had this whole way of solving their problem. And guess what? The castle that I had based Barton Hall on had done exactly that mm-hmm. they had in the 10 years since i was there they were taking paying guests so not only did i go back to find my ancestors but i got to stay in the very castle that i had written about and of course it's a big thing in in um, that summer in Car- cornwall because another cousin comes over she's been suddenly wake, woke up one day and she had the official guardianship of a child she'd never met this little Beverly Hills brat that was this little baby in arms in the first book, and she doesn't know what to do, so she takes, it, takes this child to Cornwall for the summer to try to turn her into a decent human being with the help of the child's aunt, who has also never seen this child. So the whole thing was kind of this circle, you know, and I got to stay in the very place I had written about from the outside and rented a room and stayed in the castle.
0: Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night CG and not know if this is reality or if you're a character in one of your books?
7: I know. I mean, it's sort of weird. My husband says that all the time. He says, I wander around sort of mumbling as if I'm in the 18th century, the 20th century. You know? he,
0: says, he never knows where I'm going to be. I imagine he likes that. Hey, you know, Bill mentioned that you've got a lot of different interests, and one of the things we like about you is that you are fearless. And, you know, it doesn't always work out for any of us, but, uh, you know, the reward is in the effort. And, uh, you know, after 25 years as an author, you've now become a publisher. Uh, what led you to take that step?
7: Well, as many of us know, you know, I had my big 70th birthday this year. Oh, Happy my gosh.
0: That was, that's
7: a watershed, I'll tell you.
0: Your voice belies your age.
7: Oh, so, well, thanks. Anyway, you know, as everyone, an awful lot of people are realizing, there's a huge revolution in information going on, and certainly in publishing. I mean, Growing Boulder is a perfect example. You guys are on every platform. You have a radio show. You have a TV show. You're you know, your mission about... Age isn't isn't a, a number. It's an attitude, and it's expressed in the magazines and everything you're doing. I felt the same thing. I felt, look, I've been published by Random House and Viking and Bantam and Valentine, all the biggies, but there's this revolution, which is that any of us, now can use the tools, the digital tools, to write a book and publish it ourselves. Now, there's a lot of junky books out there, I have to say, but many of us who've been in this business a long time... I just wanted to give it a try. And so Tony and I founded Lion's Paw Publishing. And we brought uh, that summer in Cornwall out um, under our own publishing company. And it's first as an e-book, and then next month we're going to do a print book. And it will be available, you know, everywhere you buy books online and hopefully eventually in the bookstores too. But there was something about taking control. I mean, I hired the cover artist. I hired the formatter. I, you know, it cost me a little bit of money, not that much, to make a really professional looking product, and a lot of people just do everything themselves, but, you know, I felt I had a certain standard to maintain since my books have been beautifully published by by the big ones, you know, but this was such an adventure, and Tony and I uh, just, who he's a marketing guy, we said, why don't we try it? I mean, okay, we're 70, but... This is a new adventure. It's something we learned. I mean, all of you, all of us who are learning all this stuff, it's sometimes a brain cracker. But, you know, we just took it a step at a time. I wrote the book, and then I got the cover. You know, I just did it step by step. And I'll tell you, when that book went live on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and everywhere, I just, oh my God, what a feeling.
1: And, and, you know, for everybody listening, C.G., even if they don't read the books, which they should, or if they haven't heard you on on radio, which hopefully they did, they're hearing a 70-year-old. Instead of talking about aches and pains or moaning and groaning about health things, you've got such passion and energy and excitement. And you're talking about a whole new avenue that you keep inventing for yourself. And Tony, your husband, he's 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 not ever gonna retire either running an online marketing company. You guys just found the fountain of youth, haven't you?
7: everyone has to think about, which is that, I mean, I, you know, as you know, I used to be cover health when I worked for ABC. That was one of my beats. And all the research shows that the people who age the, the happiest are the ones who never stop learning and have a community of people around them, like-minded, kindred souls like you guys have at, at Growing Boulder. And, and, you know, whether you're a professional, you know, a master swimmer or you love golf or whatever it is, you get like-minded friends and you keep learning and honestly I mean I walk nine miles a week and I've been blessed probably with good health but half my my parents died in their 60s so I think that it's just growing bolder and what we're all trying to do is to say just keep going
1: check out her latest book that summer in Cornwall or any of her other projects you'll find them at cgware.com you see why we love her so much CG we'll talk to you again soon Oh, oh. Up next, he's got one of the deepest voices in the business. Hear how his career took him from Elvis to Elvira. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by. Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. Well, you are listening to the Growing Boulder Radio Show. I am Bill Schaefer with the always curious, ever learning, always listening Mark Middleton. <laughs> And Mark, can you imagine what it would be like to be a singer with a line so well-known that people would recognize you just from a song lyric, you know, like somewhere over the rainbow is Judy Garland or Camelot is Robert Goulet. Who is Oom Papa, Oom Papa, Mau Mau? You know, Billy, you really
0: don't even have to ask. Of course it is... The Oak Oak Ridge Ridge Boys. Boys. And we're about to meet the guy whose voice actually made that line famous, but that's not all he's done. In fact, he has just written his life story in what is really a fascinating read. Love the title. It's called From Elvis to Elvira, My Life on Stage. Let's say hello to the iconic bass of the Oak Ridge Boys since 1972, Richard Sturban. Hey, Richard, how are you?
4: Gentlemen, I am doing just fine. It's certainly a pleasure to be able to to talk to both of you this morning, and I'm I'm kind of flattered that you were putting me into the same category, Judy Garland. Wow. (laughs) Oh
0: man, yeah. Well, you've earned it. You have earned it.
1: You're the Judy Garland of (laughs) bases. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, not many people realize, Richard, that, uh, you know, you're not a Johnny-come-lately. Your singing career actually got started when you were just six years old, but uh, I, I imagine your voice wasn't quite as deep back then.
4: No, you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, in fact, I write about it in the book. So uh, my first public performance, and I was a boy soprano. <laughs> mm. yeah, my voice changed later on in life when I was in junior high school, Uh I uh, uh, still singing tenor in the glee club in seventh grade, and over the summer between my seventh grade year and my eighth grade year in, in uh, junior high school, my voice made a drastic change. And when I went back, it dropped over an octave. And when I went in the fall, when I went back for my eighth grade year, the choir teacher could not believe the difference, and was lady, and she ended up putting me into the second bass section and i have obviously been there ever since uh, and was
0: it wasn't just a change in your singing voice but your speaking voice as well
4: well there's no question the speaking voice changes as well you know i uh all of a sudden i noticed when i was talking to people i was sounding a lot differently than i was earlier <laughs> wow
1: you didn't swallow anything drink anything <laughs> nothing else weird happened?
4: No, no, you know and and with With me, it almost seemed like it happened overnight. You know, a lot of boys go through this, uh, when their voice changes, they go through this period of time where they have this squeaky sound where, you know, one minute they're talking high, then they're they're talking low, and they're, like, in between. You know, it seems like uh, mine happened, like, almost overnight.
1: Richard, your book is an outstanding read. I mean, people think they know the Oak Ridge Boys, but they really don't know the ins and outs of the guys who've comprised it for so long. And one of the coolest things comes from the title, and that's your relationship with Elvis, which is a great part of your career that I think probably surprised a lot of people.
4: Well, you know, prior to joining the Oak Ridge Boys, I sang in a group called J.D. Sumner, and the Stamps Quartet. And for about a year and a half of, of, of my life, just prior to joining the Oak Ridge Boys, I did have the opportunity to sing with, with Elvis. I sang with the king of rock and roll. You know, It was a wonderful experience to be a part of the biggest tour of the music business back in those days. It was by far the. You know, second to none. You know, the the Elvis tour was 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 the big one, and to to actually be on that tour, you know, it was an amazing experience. Uh, and and in the book, I you know talk about some of my experiences with Elvis. You know, for example, he was a great practical jokester, and I talk about some of those practical jokes he enjoyed playing, and I talked about you know just in general what it was like you know you know being there on the stage with him. Uh, but but. uh, but the, I think a big part of the book is the fact that I talk about the major decision that I made in my life to leave the King of Rock and Roll and to join the Oak Ridge Boys. That was a major. That it was a decision that changed my life. And uh, you know, I, and, and I went on from singing with the King of Rock and Roll to uh, bigger and better things with the Oak Ridge Boys. And that's kind of what the book talks about. So you know, I think if you are a fa- an Elvis fan. I think you're going to find the book very, very interesting. But if you're an Oak Ridge Boys fan, you're going to find the book very interesting as well. So there's great Oak Ridge Boys stories in there, as well as great Elvis stories.
0: You know, I think you're selling yourself short because if you're a fan of music in general, because you've worked with a lot of legends from Sammy Davis Jr., Roy Clark, even Glenn Campbell, and, you know, you really had a unique front-row seat to the music that we all grew up with.
4: Well, there's no question about that. You know, some... I've been very fortunate and very blessed to have a great career in the music business. And and that's kind of what this book is about, is my life story. And, uh, you know, uh, I talk about the influence of Johnny Cash, for example. Johnny Cash, I don't think there would be an Oak Ridge Boys today if it wasn't for Johnny Cash. And uh, Johnny Cash, you know, uh, kind of took the Oak Ridge Boys under his wing. He, he put us on his tour he paid us more money than than we were actually worth, but I think his words of encouragement, you know, uh, encouraging us to continue on, and you know, it, it looked like uh, we were we were at at our wits' ends. You know, we were kind of very desperate, uh, really thinking about hanging it up. And he he told us, you know, not to do that, but to hang in there. If we hang in there, good things will start happening to us. And he was absolutely correct, you know. And I I remember when we won our first. Uh, Country Music Association Award. Uh, Johnny was the host of the show. And when we ran up there to accept our award, instead of going to accept the award, we ran over to Johnny Cash and all of us hugged him. And uh, and we all thanked him, and he said, "See, fellas, I told you this was going to happen someday." So he was right. So so his influence, especially, uh, you know, is, is very very important to, to the Oak Ridge boys.
1: So many good lessons in the book, Richard. In our, in our final forty five or so, can you tell us what what do you think the takeaway is? What what can we learn from from the story of Richard Sturban?
4: Well, that uh, there's there's probably not been a more blessed man anywhere on this earth. You know, very few people. Can actually say that uh, they they were able to sing with the king of rock and roll to be a part of of, of the biggest tour in the music business and then make a major decision in life, a life-changing decision, and then go on to bigger and better things with the Oak Ridge Boys and then have a great, great Forty year career now with the Oak Ridge Boys, but we have you know been able to record music. We've been able to encourage people, uplift people with our music.
1: So folks, if you're looking for an honest, sincere, straightforward, delightful read, check out the memoir of the Bass of the Oak Ridge Boys, Richard Sturban. The book is called From Elvis to Elvira. Up next, she thought she might become a teacher to inspire youngsters. Instead, she's paving the way for adults to reach for lifelong learning. This is Growing Boulder.
7: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com/slash-subscribe.
0: Welcome back to Growing Boulder Radio. I'm Mark Middleton, along with Bill Schaefer. And who among us wouldn't want to live to a healthy 100? But, of course, that takes a lot of different ingredients. And one of those is that sharp noggin that you got up there. And it wasn't that long ago that if you saw a middle-aged student on a college campus, it was a big deal. Well, these days, it's less than unusual. In fact, students over the age of 50 are the fastest-growing demographic percentage-wise on almost all college campuses. And, Bill, you know, it makes a lot of sense because we never stop learning, so why should we stop educating ourselves?
1: Right, Mark. When it comes down to it, we're all students our whole lives long, and in many cases, we're even better students now than we were when we were teens. Our next guest knows that very well. She helped create a lifelong learning initiative where she sees evidence every day that not only is lifelong learning important, it can play a critical role in helping you keep a purpose in your life. So let's say hello to someone dedicated to helping you live to a healthy 100 dr emily richardson hey doc how are you
8: fine thank you good morning thanks for having me aboard
1: listen you've been around college life for a long time what was it that made you get involved with a program that in essence caters to older students
8: well, actually, it was a group of older students who got together who uh, their average age at the time that I was working with them were in the late 60s, who said, we'd like you to come to a meeting and just have a conversation about what we could possibly create for us. Hmm. Um, although they could take classes in the classroom with others, with regular students, um, at some cases, they didn't want to do the reading or have, worry about the grades or the tests or the parking that sometimes is difficult on major college campuses. So they wanted us to create an environment that was just for them. And when I started down the road, I had no idea what it was going to end up looking like, um, but it ended up being uh, an organization totally built for them and their learning.
0: You know, other than the obvious, uh, you know, Doc, uh, you know, m- maybe trying to make yourself more, more employable beyond a certain age, what are the benefits of lifelong learning?
8: Well, I think I think that there, people come for, for different reasons. Um, for some, they want the intellectual stimulation, you know, that they realize that they, for the first time in their life, especially as a retired individual, gets the opportunity to study in depth something that they've never done before. And the example I give is when we went to school, often we were taught American history from the Revolution through World War II and spent a week on each thing. Um, they can study the Civil War for a whole semester and do it in a multiplicity of ways if that's what they have an interest in. So intellectual stimulation is one. Another time, it's skills. Um, Many people have grown up and not had to maybe use um, the computer in the way that they've wanted to or they got a new digital camera or they want to intersect on Facebook and have never done it before. And so they come for that sort of skill piece. And then others come because it's a social event. Um, they have an opportunity to socialize with others that are like themselves um, and of the same age.
1: Well, you become really passionate about this lifelong learning concept. Did you have an epiphany, Doc? Did you realize at some point that instead of like a passing fad, this was going to be something worth expanding?
8: Um, Yeah, I I think I did. Um, It was interesting because I was um, living near my parents, and I saw that um, they were staying active. They were going to things like Elder Hostel, where you go on a travel trip, or they were going with friends to that type of thing. But it was up to them to do the organization of it, and so it suddenly dawned on me how wonderful it would be if they could just go down to the street to the the university and take some courses. Um, Um, And as the longer you work in it, the more passionate you become by it. And we have over 200 people enrolled in over 50 courses um, in the next nine weeks.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Emily Richardson, who is a lifelong learning expert. Folks, every study out there says that lifelong learning will improve the quality of your life in so many ways. Doc, doc, how do students in your lifelong learning program differ from, from maybe students that are 18 or 19 just starting college?
8: Well, one, they don't ever hesitate to ask a question. <laughs> um, it's funny when we get instructors involved; they're they're like, "Well, what's this experience going to be like? I don't know if if I can, you know, if this is going to be right for me." And I said, "You're going to love it because for the first time in your life, you'll you won't." You'll run out of material. You know, people will just continue to ask you and test you and give you questions that you haven't thought about before. So their engagement in the classroom is really, really great. Um, I think that that's also. Plus, the other thing that they bring is experience. Every class that I'm involved with, I find somebody that has as much knowledge about the subject as I do, and they're willing to share and offer that knowledge. And in fact, many times we try and tap them and have them become another speaker for another Semester.
1: You mentioned the uh, the enrollment. That's a pretty impressive number. Is that happening just because you are working on this program here, or is this something that's happening all over the country?
8: Oh no, it's absolutely happening all over the country. I mean, Institutes of Learning and Retirement, which is what they were originally called, called started back in 1962 in New York City with the first one. But today, there's well over. 400 of them um, that are organized uh, in connection with universities and colleges across the nation. They all have different names, and everybody is seeing this major growth in this type of thing.
0: And Dr. Richardson, the uh, the benefits to, to your students in this program are obvious, but you know, when I was a student, you never saw uh, another student over the age of 50 or 60. I would think that the benefits to the younger students are almost equally great in that uh, the, the lifelong learning students are setting an example and sending a message that it's never too late. You, You can continue to learn the rest of your life.
8: Right. And so and so we have these two trends. One is the lifelong learning where they're with their peers, but you're correct. They're, the other large trend is them enrolling in classes and at, at, directly at universities and colleges and sitting in the classroom um, with other learners. And it's just a wonderful thing. Um, there, too, they are active, they are excited, and I think it's the generational learning that goes on. So you can imagine in some conversations uh, things about gender studies or diversity or even history, imagine sitting in a room with somebody who's lived that piece that you've talked about or, or had to deal with it in a different ways. The so learning is added um, exponentially for both halves.
1: So there you go. I guess the takeaway here is don't ever stop learning because not only is it the key to launching your life when you're 18 to 22, it's the key to extending your life, keeping it relevant, and helping you move forward no matter what age you are. We learned a great lesson today from Dr. Emily Richardson helping us lead ourselves to a healthy 100. Check out the Lifelong Learning Department at a school near you. For right now, be sure to like us on Facebook because there's so much going on on the growingbolder.com Facebook page you won't want to miss out on. Also, keep an eye out for Growing Boulder TV. Until next time, isn't it time you started Growing Boulder?
0: Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder
3: Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick technical director is jason morrow chief audio engineer is mac Dula, and our most important team member is you remember when it comes to growing bolder, it's not about age it's about attitude
2: Crim-